Hello, friends. Before we start today, a note about a special giving opportunity through Compassion Radio. This week and this week only, to double your gift for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. Our friend Oleg Magdich is busy right now preparing the church for the onslaught of the potential war that might happen very soon there, and we need to stand with them. This matching gift is for at least $1,200 and available to you if you'll give this week. So every dollar you give will be matched. Our toll-free order line is one 800 868 2478. You can also give anytime online at CompassionRadio.com. And now, to the program. Today on Compassion Radio. After the post-traumatic syndrome, until now, it's hard for me to sing. I cannot explain it, but somehow it's not easy to sing because one million people, they had to leave their houses and apartments and nobody took care of them. Mm. So they came here to Kiev. You don't sing in these moments, you know. It's not easy to sing joyful song. You can sing a sad song, you know. <laughs> the whole world is on edge. And it's not just a battle of arms and will that we're witnessing. It's a real spiritual war that we're engaged in as much as anything else. Hello and welcome to Compassion Radio, the timely report of God's kingdom in action, where they're needed most. Thanks for joining us today. Last week we began an in-depth report on Ukraine and how the kingdom of God is responding to the threat of impending war on their country. Our guide for this journey into the thick of the action is our dear friend and spiritual warrior, Oles Dimitrenko. He resides in Kiev with his family and has been involved with most of the amazing work the church has done over the past 10 years, helping the country to free itself from the shackles of tyranny. As we recorded this interview, the saber-rattling had reached a fever pitch. Even in the crosshairs, Oles reminds us that the real battle belongs to the Lord, and that there is much we can and should do to help the church in Ukraine continue their ministry to their countrymen, no matter what foreign powers decide to do. We'll start today with a recap of last Thursday's discussion. And remember, there's a special matching gift for your support of our partners in Ukraine if you'll make your gift this week. I hope you'll do just that. And now, to the interview. How are you doing, and how is the church itself doing in response to those stresses from that time, the scars of that history, and God's healing and restoring powers over time? How has it been? I'm convinced that uh, there is always price uh, that we pay uh, Mm. for the right decisions Mm. in times of troubles or military aggression. And this post-traumatic syndrome is one of the probably most obvious and probably easiest consequences of those things. I don't think we are over it. And a lot depends. It's very individual Mm -hmm. because each person is unique with his or her own structure, uh, psycho. Some people saw, you know, people killed in front of their eyes, innocent people. Others didn't see that, but they were also impacted by some other situations or the whole fact of injustice. Mm, Yes. This cannot happen. It's hard to accept that, you know, some government can do whatever wants to innocent people. Yes. And also add a historic background that I mentioned, that Russia had been oppressing Ukraine for the last 400 years, claiming that Ukrainians did not exist in 1930s. They created artificial famine, mm-hmm. uh, after which uh, from 6 to 10 million of Ukrainians were starved to death. 
by the Soviet regime. It was similar to the Holocaust of Jewish people because Ukrainians, they could not receive this communism. It was very strange for them. You know, you had a cow, Mm -hmm. a pig, you know, and a horse. And now you had to give your horse, your cow and your pig and your chicken to what? To the collective farm? It was strange. Yeah. Your private property, what is that? It was very strange. So Ukrainians resisted strongly. Yeah. Again, Ukraine is the key basically to conquer Russia, <laughs> yeah. right? To understand Russia, to understand Soviet Union. So the Soviet regime, they made this artificial famine. Yeah, I wouldn't call it artificial because you actually did starve. I understand what you're saying. It was artificially created. The yeah. famine itself was very, very real. Yeah, yeah, created. That's right. Do you know this? The Carol of the Bells. Mm, Yes, beautiful piece. So it was around that time of that famine when it was first sang in the United States. Mm. Because many Ukrainians had to flee from the Soviet regime. They escaped it and came to the United States. And the choir sang this Carol of the Bells for the first time. And the Americans loved it so much that Mm. it became their song. Mm -hmm. There is this paradox in that song, you know. Originally, it was called Shchedrik. Shchedrik is generous. Mm. Shchedrik, it was the song of generous blessing upon the household of your family. So that's the idea of this song. And so the composer who wrote the arrangement, he saw something holy in that simple song of blessing. He saw the spiritual. He saw that it Mm. was God who was blessing the family, but God is not mentioned in the lyrics of that song. So he put a piece of melody, you know, when you hear them, and then there is part, and that's hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. But you don't sing hallelujah. It just, it's played, it's sound. This hallelujah, it just penetrates the whole thing. This is an amazing song. And then the Americans, they wrote new lyrics that made more sense to <laughs> the American people. No, no, that's complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is okay. But these are the Ukrainians, you know, it's the song of blessing on your household and, and, you know, your children and your family and your wife and proclamation of blessings. And so uh, Soviet Union, uh, they punished the whole nation. So from six to 10 millions were starved to death. And then during the Second World War, World War II, yeah. Hitler was conquering the Ukraine. And then the Soviet army, it was back and forth. Right. It was just devastated totally. And so the Russian leaders of the Soviet army, they purposely gave orders to kill as many Ukrainians as mm. possible during this war. It was a double agenda. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, you know, somewhere glad that Hitler was coming because they could get rid of as many Ukrainians as possible. My grandfather was one of 12 kids and only three survived. Mm. The rest had been killed during the war by Germans or during that time. And so after World War II was over, he continued to serve in the Soviet army and the Soviet army gave him an order to kill Ukrainian nationalists. And he was shocked. So a Ukrainian had to kill another Ukrainian who hoped for freedom from the Soviet Union. My grandfather, his name was Kanon, a very unusual name for Mm. the Ukrainians. Kanon, basically. I have a son named Kanon. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very interesting, yeah? To make the situation easier, they gave a Kazakh, like from another nation, uh, a soldier Mm -hmm. from Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. And the Kazakhstani men, they had to 
kill the Ukrainian man who hoped, you know, to get rid of the Soviet yeah. Union. And so when they looked at each other's eyes, without words, they realized that they will not kill the Ukrainian man. They will not do it. Mm-hmm. But they had to be creative. So if my grandfather uh, refused immediately, he would be killed. Mm. His nine brothers had been killed already, and he was the only man left in the family. What a choice to make, right? Right. So they came to the destination, greeted everyone, wished good health, turned out and left. (laughs) And so when the Soviet army, they asked, why did you kill him? He said, in your order, it says, when you see, when you see this guy, kill him and his wife and his children. So what happened? We came there, but we did not see him. And because we did not see him, we could not fulfill the order. Right. And another grandfather, uh, his name was Kostya Kostantin. He, he was wounded three or four times during the war. After the war, he had some parts of the bomb remained in his body. Shrapnel in his body. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he could not sit. He could never sit. Hmm. But he was very joyful, full of humor, interesting man. Sometimes when he would start talking about war, everyone was quiet Hmm. and i was a five-year-old kid and it seemed to me that even the birds (laughs) stopped singing you know Mm -hmm. it was just so quiet nobody even asked any question you know it just let him talk so he would talk and when he saw these soviet movies propaganda on tv he always left the room He, Hmm. he could not watch those soviet movies and I have many, many interesting stories about that. Like his sister went to Poland. She was 18. So she went to Poland from Ukraine to earn some money, mm-hmm. you know, get some job and some money and come back. But the moment she came to Poland, Poland was taken over by the Germans. Yeah. So she escaped and came back to Ukraine. The moment she came back to Ukraine, the Germans already conquered Ukraine. Yeah. And then the Germans sent her back to Germany to work at a factory, mm-hmm. you know, for yeah. Germany. And she told me that when she was in Ukraine, in her dream, God came to her wearing national costume, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, suit or Ukrainian national costume. Her name was Ksenia. And he told her, Ksenia, wake up, wake up, mm-hmm. because the bomb will fall on this building and it will kill you. Wake up. She kept sleeping, you know. And this dream was repeated for the second time. God, he says, Ksenia, I told you, you have to wake up and leave this room. So she suddenly wake up and she escaped. She just left the room. She left the room. The bomb, you know, came and the building was destroyed. It's just amazing, you know. And now it's several generations later. The same story repeats. I'm now visiting my parents on the ninth floor of a 16-story compartment building in Kiev here on the north part of Kiev, left bank. And any moment, you know, they can start bombing our cities and uh, I will have to make some escape plan. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking, what should I do? Where should I go? And it's unbelievable. We would never imagine if my grandfather was alive, yeah. you know, he wouldn't probably be shocked, but... I'm glad he does not see what is going on now, but I could never imagine that I would face the same threats that they had been facing, but of course they had much more serious situation. There couldn't be a more important time to talk about the state of the church in Ukraine than right now. 
We'll be back with more from Olus Dimitrenko in just a moment. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. Of course, there's nothing normal about our situation, but there's also nothing normal about the kind of faith and power we find in Jesus. As I mentioned at the top of the program, we have a very special giving opportunity this week and this week only to double your gift for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. Our friend Oleg Magdich is busy right now preparing the church for the onslaught of the potential war that might happen very soon there, and we need to stand with them. This matching gift is for at least $1,200 and available to you if you'll give this week. So every dollar you give will be matched. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. I will have to make some escape plan, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking what should I do, where should I go, and it's unbelievable. We would never imagine if my grandfather was alive, yeah. you know, he wouldn't probably be shocked, but I'm glad he does not see what is going on now, but I could never imagine that I would face the same threats that they had been facing, but of course they had much more serious situation. So that's a little bit of the insight of of what Ukrainians are feeling. And of course, there is post-traumatic syndrome from the revolution of dignity when we saw innocent people killed. In my case, after the revolution of dignity, I never realized that I had post-traumatic syndrome. You know, and I just kept doing what I was doing. But I noticed that at a certain moment, there was a very interesting condition. You know, I would sit in a chair and could not do anything. I could not turn on my computer. I was just staring at a monitor and could not really start working. I could not explain what was going on. I thought it was my problem, like maybe I was lazy or, you know, that I was just, you know, I was not diligent. You know, I assumed that I was not diligent enough. Hmm. But then I talked to a friend of mine. His name is Anton Kalyuzhny. He's a son of one of the bishops of one of the leaders of the evangelical movement who played a key role during the Revolution of Dignity. One of the first bishops who stood up publicly and he basically said that at this moment... The church has to be with the people because Jesus would be here with his people at this time. His son is a good friend of my Anton. So I asked Anton, you know, how he was doing and so on. And so he asked me and I said, you know what, Anton, a strange thing is going on. I'm staring at a monitor and cannot start working. You know, it's just unusual. And he said, and you are having this too. And he became happy because he was having the same thing and yeah. he could not understand what was going on. And at the moment he heard this from me, he said, ah, okay, probably we are having this post-traumatic syndrome. And it became easier. It, yeah. it, I just sent the relief, you know, so that... Um, I'm not the only one and this thing I'm feeling has a name. 
It's powerful to be able to name the thing that is causing fear or that is disabling us. And I think God gives us language at those times to be able to confess to him what's really going on. And you were able to exercise those demons, so to speak, to get them out from within you, to see them for what they are. And God does that for us. Yeah, yeah. Another very important uh, story I want to share. I was one of the first uh, worship leaders Mm -hmm. uh, in Ukraine who started writing worship songs in the original language. Yes. uh, Indigenous worship, so to speak, right? And my sister and me, because she's the poet, she's really talented. So together we made a good team. We translated the best Christian music, Christian worship songs into our native language. And it was so powerful, you know, when people could sing in their own language. Yes. Worship the Lord. It was just powerful. So we recorded CDs and Fred Human, I met him 20 years later. Yes, a good friend of ours. Uh, yeah, so he was the first one who came here to produce the first worship music. It never existed in yes. Ukraine. Just imagine that. And so when I received Christ, I was so impacted by those cassette tapes, however you call it. <laughs> yes, cassette tapes, yes. Yeah, so I was impacted by that worship music. And it was a new world for me. Wow, such thing as a contemporary Christian worship. It was amazing. And so we were influenced. And so we started writing our own music in Ukrainian language and writing albums and uh, all kinds of that. After the post-traumatic syndrome, until now, it's not easy for me to sing, sing yes. songs. It's hard for me to sing. Hmm. I cannot explain it. I uh, like wash music. I play guitar. I worship the Lord quietly. But somehow it's not easy to sing because, you know, one million people, we call them like internally displaced people. So they had to leave their houses and apartments and nobody took care of them. Mm. So they came here to Kiev and to other places around the country. And so you don't sing in these moments, you know. It's not easy to sing joyful song. You can sing a sad song, you know. <laughs> the songs of lament, we would say in English. Songs of lament, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's a time of lament. Thank you. Thank you for helping me to articulate that. Mm. It's a time for lament, you know. And uh, our church gave some shelter to people from the Donbass, people like you and me, you know, mm-hmm. who suddenly had to leave everything. Yeah. A friend of mine who is a musician, excellent guitar player, excellent guitar player, he had to run away and he didn't even have time to pick up his guitar. Hmm. He had a friend who loved him so much that he said, you know what, I will get your guitar. Hmm. <laughs> and so there were shootings and bombings in the eastern of Ukraine. Yes. It was very dangerous. And that friend found his guitar. <laughs> and he brought it over here to Kiev to the safe place. From what I saw of what you and your friend Oleg had to do just to get into where the enclaves were that Christians were helping orphans, just the adventure in the streets of going from barricade to barricade and the <clears throat> open territory you had to run across that you were at risk of being sniped any time you crossed that territory. This is not just going to town and saying, let's get something out of an apartment. This was going through no man's land to get to the places where these things existed. That's real love, friend. That someone would say, 
not just I'll get you a guitar, I'll get you your guitar so that you can worship. That's sacrifice. Yes, yes. So at that time, when the eastern part of Ukraine was occupied, there were military actions, uh, there was a real war. The world was only, so to speak, concerned. Or European partners were deeply concerned. Mm. There wasn't this voice of unity to Mm. stand against the aggression. There was a lot of this playing around with the aggressor, uh, with the tyranny. So what is happening now, it seems to me that the world finally started to realize how real this threat is. Mm. And actually, I like the fact that the American leaders, they are standing, they are speaking loud. They have this strong position. I think this is very healthy because this uncovers these evil intentions. Yes. That has power. Truth has power. We don't know what will happen, but it's very possible that because of this stance for truth, it's very possible that that will stop the aggression. But for us here, the question is open. We don't know what would happen. So we pray. We ask you to continue praying for us. Please continue to pray for Ukraine, for the Ukrainian people, for our safety. And prayer is powerful. Uh, I believe in the power of prayer, especially in a situation like this. It is because there is a lot of demonic in this intention to kill other people, to destroy and to ruin. It's very demonic. It's a spiritual problem besides the political. So uh, if the church takes this seriously and is strong in prayer, I really believe it has the power to stop the aggression. And we'll pray that way. And I would encourage our our friends that hear this program, don't be afraid to ask God to thwart the plans of evil men and to stop the plans of evil for the people of Ukraine and for the greater Rus. They are people that God created, and they've been fighting a spiritual battle for a very, very long time. And yet the gospel came to Rus and stood on those hills above the Dnieper River and said, this will be a place of worship. This will be a place where the cross is raised high. That is your spiritual heritage in that country, and it's not lost. And I know that God will continue to bring it to fruit every generation, and he has his people. And unless you obviously are one of those people that God called out, he preserved your ancestors, literally, saving their lives so they could be here to produce this generation. And you are now leading in many ways, in industry, in the church, politically and morally, you are on the forefront So I thank you so much for sharing the story of Ukraine through the story of your family, because they're one and the same. You are Ukraine.
We'll be back with Oles Dimitrenko tomorrow as we continue this report from the front lines of faith in Ukraine. I hope you'll tune in then. Remember, none of this is possible without you. If you believe hearing the good news from the front lines of faith builds your faith, then let us know today. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today, and it will be double with a matching grant. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.